Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up. With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's news talk leader. A little bit behind the clock, but it's 10 minutes after 9 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Andy Griffin. This is the Andy Griffin Show on a sunshiny Wednesday morning, 29th day of June. And uh, making a special appearance today is Dr. David Blodgett, the director of the Southwest Utah Public Health Department. Uh, Dr. Blodgett, thank you for coming on. We missed you earlier this month because uh, you you were out of town and we had some people filming. They did a fine job, don't get me wrong, but... Uh, not quite the same as having Doc Blodgett here. <laughs> and uh, I'm actually going to be gone next week, uh, your normal appearance for next week. And, and uh, so uh, instead of having someone else try to interview you or, or whatever, I thought, let's just have him on early. And here you are. Sounds good. I'm happy to be here. Works out for me as well. It's next week's, you know, 4th of July. Everybody, yeah. nobody wants to listen to the radio. On the yeah, news. holiday holiday <laughs> season. I'm going to go up and see some grandbabies. And oh, nice. Have a nice time. That up, makes up life north. much that's better. That's good. yeah. I uh, still suffering with some issues uh, with with my leg, you know. And and one of the big activities the grandkids want to do is go to the zoo. Oh right. So I have a little apprehension there because I don't know that I can walk. When you go to the zoo, I don't know if you've been to the zoo in a while. Oh, we went wow. to the San Diego Zoo, and there were we. I think we. I think I had like 17,000 steps that morning on <laughs> my, <believe> my <laughs> iWatch, Apple Watch. I was like, wow. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that turns out. But uh, you, um, you closed all the loops on your Apple Watch. Yes, day. they were. Yeah, the, all the rings were. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, you're right on. You're right on that. Um, I wonder if you could. Uh, I wanted to say and this is actually. Just, uh, I haven't prepped you on this one, but uh, I, I don't quite understand the difference between osteopathic medicine and a regular doctor. Maybe you can help clear that up a little bit. I know a little bit different, but what I mean, how does the medical industry uh, view osteopathic doctors? You know, I'm not. A, I'm not a total expert on this. I can just give you an overall sense of it. They they start from a different. Um, tradition but have fused over time to where mm -hmm. they, they aren't viewed differently in the medical profession so they're licensed the same doctors they have the doctor. same capacity to do okay little bit of a different focus perhaps based on where they came from right so osteopaths like the name suggests are interested in joints and bones and how you can manipulate all of that so yeah so some parts of like chiro chiropractic came out of that side of of the origins of where medicine came to, but over time, uh, osteopathic schools of medicine have really merged much more towards a, the, the other side is called an allopathic side, and mm -hmm. there really isn't a, a distinguishing characteristic of how they practice medicine or how they're recognized by medical societies and things like that. So, um, some of the some of my favorite docs that I went to school with are. Uh, osteopaths and you know you'll see them in residencies at all the prestigious residencies it's it's, it's really merged much more over the years so. so if you went to a gp a general practitioner and he's a, a osteopathic background pretty much the same deal pretty as much the, the same deal yeah. you get the same advice and they you know they might have a little bit of extra you know maybe we could try manipulating some things here but i i just really haven't seen that much at all they've they've pretty well kind of moved hmm. away from that background and just gone into the traditional medicine side of things. 
How does the medical industry view homeopathic medicine? Yeah, so I think we're all interested in things that work. Um, and ways, That's a good point. Ways to figure out how <laughs> it they It doesn't matter work. where it came from if it works, right? And, and, and so the problem with a lot of the alternative medicine things is you just don't have evidence that it works. And, and pretty good evidence sometimes that it doesn't work or... Uh, doesn't do kind of, uh, you know, it, it, the, the work hasn't been done to prove, you know, some of those things. And so, so I, man, there's such a sea of, 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 you know, testimonials and all of that stuff to try and work through to figure out what might help you in different circumstances. And, um, and so, you know, the homeopathic stuff, some people swear by it, others hasn't done anything for it. it there just isn't a, you know, an evidence-based foundation for why that would work and so i i would say most docs would steer away from that i have a a friend of a friend so i'm not really tied with them but uh, they have uh, developed uh, some sort of cancer in in uh, their leg and they at, at this point now she's probably 65 70 at this point she's decided that she's going to try to use homeopathic medicine and and she doesn't want surgery. She doesn't yeah. want chemo. She doesn't want radiation. Uh, I guess, it, you know, when you get to that point in life, there's a lot of ethical questions. And, and I'm sure a doctor, her doctor or regular general practitioner is like, no, you need to do this. We need to fix you. Uh, but ultimately, I guess it's up to the up to the person. Right. I mean, and we all have the right to direct our health care. And um, I mean, I think sometimes there's this gut feeling like we should intervene and do you know whatever and yeah you know, that that right to self-determination is pretty absolute in the in the law and in in medical practice but i think sometimes people forget about that i and, and but there is a warning there right so I, I think we all know of stories where people kind of abandoned the medical approach went with something else and then you know i ended up dying anyway and i i guess i guess my if you have inclination to do those kinds of things, um, hey, why not do both or <laughs> see what kind of merging you can do in there, talk it through with your doctor. And, you know, just uh, I, I've seen some pretty bad outcomes from that. Approach, yeah. So. Yeah. As a doctor, do you, I mean, is there like inside of you, you're just screaming like, come on, we can do this. And, 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 I, and I guess along with that, maybe Dr. Blodgett would talk about, people who you know that that stuff's not really going to help they're going to die anyway well i mean it always comes in situations we i mean we've maybe we've said it this way before 85 percent of things that happen to you you get over on your own right you know right. it's it's trying right. to figure out that 15 percent where you're not <laughs> going to get over on your own and and with the 85 percent probably anything that you would do would would help or seem like it would help but it's that 15 percent where where the big trouble lies and 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 there's a chunk of that 15 percent where medicine can't help either right i mean there's just some parts of of healthcare and medicine where there there's a lot of research going on it's just not there it's better than it's ever been but it's not as good as it needs to be and it, you know, yeah. we keep trying to get better and you know a lot of times cancer is one of those areas where you know just we haven't had the good results we'd like to see sometimes and and you've said it before and i've said it before too that the the complicated thing about cancer is 
although cancer, you know, it, it, this, that word is an umbrella for all these different types of cancer. Cancer is so very different depending yes. on what part of the body and where it is and, and how bad it is and what stage you're on it. I mean, you know, pancreatic cancer is incredibly different from melanoma, yeah, you know, very much. So. And, and that makes it so complicated. Well, it does. And it, you know, each type of cancer and even subtypes within cancer have to be treated very differently from mm-hmm. each other. And, and, and I don't know that we understand those subtleties sometimes unless we're the guy calling those shots and and boy i gotta tell you the the progress that's been made is tremendous uh but that 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 doesn't mean as much when you're the one that that doesn't work for you know and so it becomes kind of personal at that point and so i i i think i think the the scientific process works right (laughs) we just need to give it a chance sometimes Mm -hmm. and but we also need to have people that are involved in the scientific process use the scientific process too, right? And I and I think part of the part of the skepticism we've had with with medicine and over COVID and things like that is just um, sometimes we don't remain true to some of those principles in the scientific community as well. And yeah, I think you've got to be consistent there, and that's that's how we get there. So. I wanted to ask you, change the topic a little bit uh, uh, about a disease that. Not a lot of people had ever heard of until a certain famous person got it uh, back in, I think it was the 50s or 40s or something like that. And that's uh, ALS. Or, yeah. uh, they call it, because the famous person had it, Gehrig's disease. Lou yeah. Gehrig Lou got Gehrig. it and ended up uh, costing him his career and his life. Um, I have, uh, I know someone who died from ALS. Uh, and then I, I know someone who has it right now who is, their body is slowly just... Stopping working. Well, that's tragic. You know, there's these neurological diseases that, um, whether we understand the etiology or not, we don't understand how to to fix them. Fix them, right? yeah. And uh, yeah. ALS particularly is uh, rapidly progressive. And uh, so, where does it come from? Is this a hereditary disease? Not, not necessarily. Really, and I'm not sure we understand a lot of times. So, some when we don't know what the cause is specifically, we call it idiopathic. And, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of Lou Gehrig's disease patients are it's an idiopathic. It cause. just appears, and we don't know why they got it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and a lot of things in medicine and in, in neurology are tied to you know what uh, what other bugs can do to you or what your body does to itself when it gets a little misdirected right. cms you know and and Guillain-Barre and things like that and so it's probably in one of those categories but it's really been very difficult to it's it, it's common but not so common that you know there's ton, yeah, i mean there's just lots of <laughs> variables that have been in there and I'm, I, I again i'm i'm not a neurologist so i'm not an expert on these things but um but i do know um that disease particularly has proven pretty elusive in trying to find a cure or do much for is it because they 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 have a hard time tracking the origin of it is that part of the reason they can't find a cure is no no i just so you have to focus the money, right? Mm. We haven't, you know, it just depends on which diseases rise to the top and get, you know, somebody that's interested in really pursuing that for their career and, uh, and so those the, kinds so, of things. So, so the think, truth of the matter is if Tom Hanks got ALS or Harrison Ford or LeBron James, all of a sudden there would be a lot more money there. You know, and, it's interesting. 
can, colon cancer screening rates, for example, mm-hmm. were like 45% in the U.S., you know, before uh, Katie Couric got uh, her colonoscopy on national TV. Remember? Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. you remember when she did I, I didn't watch it, but I remember hearing but, about but it. I, but it happened, right? And, and, and then there was somebody else that got colon cancer right at the same time, and so it was a big celebrity issue. And now, you know... I mean, almost immediately after that, rates jumped to uh, seventy-five or eighty percent, right? Isn't and that they've crazy? kind of stayed ever there ever since. But hmm. yeah, there, it's amazing how star power can bring <laughs> attention to an issue. Uh, but, that's crazy, and that's that's not necessarily the way it should be, right? Because these are all oh, yeah. serious issues. I, I mean, I, maybe a better way to say it is: we have this spectrum of diseases, and we've. We've, you know, been working at some and, you know, picking away and then you get to a certain point and then you start, you know, it's just a matter of there's just only so many people to go around and researchers. And now when you look at what we've devoted to COVID, we basically pulled everything out, everybody off of everything else. And you yeah. know, we've been doing a lot of and it's it's borne fruit for lots of areas of research. But um, it'll be interesting to see as we get back to getting into some of these issues that have long been questions we need to address. I, you know, what is, what does the world look like if we figure out ways to cure cancers, you know, and, yeah. um, or, you know, get rid of common everyday infections that, uh, that, you know, have really plagued mankind for a long time. So vaccines have done a lot, uh, for that. You know, a lot of the things that used to kill us in in 1900. If you looked at the top 10 causes of death, so 122 they were, years ago, yeah, yeah, they were all individual infectious diseases, TB, you know, things like that. Yeah. Now, all of the infectious diseases combined are our ninth or tenth on the list, or something like that. You combine them all. So we've done. We've, we're making progress in lots of wonderful areas. It's it's just you have to do the work, right? And and it and sometimes it goes more quickly than others, and uh, we get impatient because it seems like with our modern world, we ought to be able. You know, we've watched it on on movies, right? We ought to. In a two-hour period of time, I ought to be able to figure out the answer to the question and cure everybody. But uh, but sometimes that's just not the way it works. In movies, it works really well that way. But in real life, not so much. Our so, attention span is limited by the, the hour for a TV show, I guess. I don't know. Do, do you feel like that then COVID uh, has taken – I mean, you made the statement. It took away a lot of resources from other things. Does that mean – we stopped or slowed down our research on heart disease, on on the different cancers, uh, Alzheimer, things like that. Was there money taken? I think so. I mean, there was so mm-hmm. much money floating around for for COVID research that a lot of people pulled their teams off whatever they were working on and put them into that area. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but everybody suddenly had epidemiologist in their title, right? So yeah. I'm now a pediatric doctor slash epidemiologist. Slash, yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, my field really popular for the moment, uh, but um, I, 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 I don't know how we're going to write the story of unintended consequences of the mm-hmm. pandemic, and and unfortunately, it, even politics comes into that. So you look at it from a political standpoint, and and people will say, "Oh, look at everything that COVID did," right? But 
other people will look at it and say, well, COVID did some of that, but a lot of that was our response, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, our, our but, it, but it really depends. Yeah. That even that's become a political divide, yeah. you know. And so, sure. so I don't, I don't know how we're going to have real discussions about how to make make it so the next pandemic response is more appropriate or better, you know, however you want to say it. So. You know, that that's part of my job, and we'll continue to, you know, after action this thing, you know, as much as we can. But, but you know, a lot of this was not public health. A lot of this was political and, uh, you know, and governors and legislators and, you know, everybody got involved. And the news was really over the top, and, and that created a much different response than it would have been had it been a purely public health scientific yeah. response. Well, and that... And that's the stuff that scares me uh, because you look at, say, young people who had to either not go to school or when they did get back to school, they had to wear masks. Uh, and I had two teenage daughters at the time. This directly affected them. And like you said, I don't I can't write the story on what that did to them yet. Right. But I see that there were immediate effect, effects uh, on them, especially my younger daughter, who's 18 now. Uh, I think it it really in a, in a real way affected her psychologically uh, socially emotionally uh and i look at you know i'm a religious person i know you are too uh what's happened to uh you know churches worldwide uh i mean there was a, a long time there where we weren't allowed to go to our houses of worship yeah and and what did that do to you know, I, I think people who went into it pretty faithful stayed faithful, but there were a lot of people that were borderline, that were, you know, I'm kind of religious, but I'm not sure. And then, oh, well, I can't go to church anyway, so I might as well go fishing or, or you know, whatever on, on, on Sunday instead of worshiping. And, and I think that, though, like you said, we can't write the ending yet because we're still in the middle of it. Well, and I've heard people talk about that and they said you know when we started labeling things as essential and Mm -hmm. (laughs) non-essential we we sent some real interesting messages to society right so you your job is is essential right but maybe somebody else's job which i think is actually just as essential to society is deemed non-essential in that matrix right and and we did that to some pretty core institutions to a lot mm-hmm. of people. We did that to religion, right? We said, no, you that is not essential. Yeah. You don't have to go to church. What kind of message is that? What kind of a message is that? Or, yeah. you know, um, school, not essential. You're going to send you home because that's not, you know. And But <clears throat> so I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think the post the postmortem on this is is really difficult because yeah. everybody has an opinion and they don't want to budge from that opinion and we've talked about how civility is taking a real hit and it you know what your opinion is your perception of reality is reality and everybody else's perception is stupid you know and and we've got we we've we've got to we've got to figure out how to come together on some of these things um you know i i um I I don't know uh, how to fix some of those issues either, right? Because yeah. we, we all still are in our camps, right? And mm-hmm. um, so you probably saw that uh, the vaccines for f- six months of age to five years of age just came out this last week. And, yeah, um, that was all over the news, yep. And we still had some interesting um, effects going on. We had a 
very small number of parents that were calling it. You know, the, so the so what would happen is the news would come out and say, "Oh, the ACIP has recommended this, right?" And so they'd call us and say, "How come you don't have the vaccine?" Well, the answer is it says four more steps for approval, and we have to get the vaccine, which hasn't come. Right. And uh, so they would call us and you know say things like, "Oh, my kids are going to die because you refused to give them the vaccine." I'm like. <laughs> We don't have the vaccine, number one, and yeah. number two, it hasn't been approved for anything. And so, so, and the, but then by the time we, you know, it came and we and we launched it this last Monday, you know, we've only had five kids under really? five come in, mm. <laughs> and so, wow. so, so, but there was still that portion of parents that were really, really, I don't know if they'd let their kids out of their home you know and so this difference in perception of risk and how we deal with risk uh, across the spectrum of society i think is part of the question we need to ask is how do we how do we deal with that how do we how do we allow people to be nervous and take steps on their own but also allow other people to not be nervous and live Mm. their life I, i mean i think that's some of the fundamental questions we grappled with through this, and I'm not sure we did a very good job of it. No, so, no. Um, so I think as we start to think a little more deeply than you know, throwing lobbing insults at each other and trying to figure out, wow, you know, where where are some of these kind of core values at, and and how do we allow that to be manifest? Um, if we want to heal some of these rifts, I think we have to do that that hard work, but that's hard work. Yeah. Question is, do we have the heart uh, to do it? Do we? Do we? Are we strong enough? Are, yeah. are we willing? Or do to... we just continue to have a divided society that mm-hmm. keeps going down different paths? And and but it's it's across the spectrum. So. Hmm. All right. I don't know what I'm trying to say other than <laughs> than I, I recognize that uh, we we need to we need to have some things in place for the next pandemic that will help us address some of the issues that we saw. And yet, I don't know that that's going to make a difference because it really wasn't public health that, that mm-hmm. did that. So. Nope. Both politics. <laughs> Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news. Always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU. Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. How are you this morning? 936 on KDXU. Got Dr. David Blodgett with me today. His, well, I was going to say his monthly appearance, but it's kind of weird because he had to be out of town for his last appearance. And then actually his monthly appearance is until next week. And anyway, bottom line is I'm glad to have you here, yeah, David. Yeah, it's great <laughs> to be here. I, I miss our, our chats when we get a chance to. Let's go. Uh, Seth has been very patient for about 15 minutes on, on hold. So, okay. Seth, what's happening today? My granddaughter, who was born on my birthday, just graduated as a DO in general surgery, and she's going to be interning in Denver. And so, to say the least, I'm very proud of her. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. So, um, I've got a problem, doctor. I am eating lots and lots of bananas and i'm swinging uh, from the pine trees all you must over have monkey pox <laughs> and so i'm just wondering uh, i understand that the united states and hundred more countries have signed an agreement with the united nations that uh, uh if the united nations decides we have an epidemic of some sort they can sort of enact uh, 
quarantines and vaccines and all of those kind of things, and that we have agreed to cooperate. Could you give me a a really elaborate answer about monkeypox? How many people die from monkeypox? The way I understand it, nobody dies from monkeypox. And yet it's uh, sweeping the world, uh, supposedly. (laughs) And if you could give us... uh, a really thorough update about what is going on and what are the potentials for going through the COVID kind of hysteria kind of thing um, uh, in Washington County and in uh, where we live. Great question, Seth. In fact, if you look over at my notes over here, that was actually one of the items on my list. Let's talk about monkeypox. How does it affect us? Does it affect us? Uh, How serious is it? Are people dying? And uh, we'll let let Dr. Blodgett talk now. Well, I think the underlying tenor of the question is an interesting one, Seth. Are we in in a mode where we want to blow everything up as much as possible and make Mm. it look worse than it is? Good point. You know, if you go back to the Ebola epidemic when you know it wasn't a pandemic but you know and but there was a pandemic of fear-mongering that went on right i mean sure. we had two cases in the united states but i remember sitting in a restaurant and there were seven different conversations about how we were all going to die from ebola and um, <laughs> yeah um, i think there was even a movie wasn't there or yeah you know it just uh it was my friends at hopkins all called it scarebola you know and uh <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, we the news learned some things about that, you know, just talking about diseases gets people interested. And then, you know, COVID was the ultimate example of that. And now, so monkeypox is something we've known about for a long time, uh, endemic to Africa mostly, and primarily spread uh, only by very, very close contact with the actual pustules that form right so it's not like a a smallpox where it becomes it gets into the respiratory tract and then becomes uh it easily spread through you know upper respiratory tract secretions like a like you know uh, any other flu or COVID was then you know so smallpox would spread incredibly easily and it Hmm. killed a third of the people that got it it was just a really nasty disease if you did have it and you you survived and you weren't sure you wanted to because you were badly pocked up and you know young women would get it and then have those scars on their faces and so smallpox major the major form of smallpox killed a third of the people that got it and and i think the fact that monkeypox is in the same family maybe raises some of those same kinds of specters but it just doesn't spread the same way and it is a it's a much a very much different disease i don't know you may remember that there was another incursion of monkeypox into the united states about 12 or 15 years ago Hmm. uh, where there were animals that were brought out of uh, Africa that then infected prairie dogs. And so there were prairie dogs in pet stores that were carrying monkeypox. And we had, Hmm. you know, 10 or 15 cases of monkeypox. So that was kind of the first introduction of the idea of monkeypox in the United States. And now we have uh, this um, example and and so what's a little different about this episode is that it has spread person to person, but it's acting and functioning like a sexually transmitted disease. I was going to say, we haven't called it a communicable disease or an STD, but it, 
that kind of acts like is one. right. Yeah. It's in, it's largely uh, come out of a, uh, a small you know an area in France where there were some things going on, and it was so it's mostly men have sex with men, and and um, hasn't been highlighted much in the press. But uh, but oh. that's what we're looking for. So mm. we had the two the first two cases in the United States were in Salt Lake. Uh, people might know that as well, yeah. but we just haven't seen wide scale spread of that from that initial cluster, right? Or there are some isolated cases, yeah. but it's been pretty, pretty focused. In fact, they even said in the news today they said because there's a third case, I guess, but they, all three of them were contracted in Europe yeah, in and Europe. then brought it here. They haven't actually had any spread here in yeah. in the United and States. And it's not hard to identify because there's a long latency period and you're not you're not actively spreading it unless you actually have those those lesions that are oozing kind of thing, you know. And mm. so so it's it's a much different kind of disease to try and contain than an upper respiratory tract type infection where, you know, you're you're spreading it, you know, you know you have it kind of thing a lot of times. And so so if you have if you have the rash, you have the capacity to spread, you know you're sick, and uh, it's easily much easier to identify that and isolate those people and, and stop the spread of it. And so um, I'm hoping we don't have any cases come here. It seems likely we won't, but yeah. uh, there is that possibility. We just haven't seen a huge number of cases. I mean, we, part of our – how do I want to word this – we have the capacity to detect things at a much more granular level than we've ever had. Hmm. And sometimes I don't know if we know how to infer what that really means. <laughs> <Does> that, <laughs> you know, I, okay. our, our capacity to detect disease as a public health system has outpaced our ability to be really have the answers to what as to what that means, you okay. know. And, yeah. and then you add a lot of press coverage to that, and so we get into that realm. So... Um, and then some political grandstanding and voila, yeah, perfect storm. <laughs> so uh, I hope that meets the definition of what you would like to hear, Seth. But the but the answer is we're watching it and we'll continue to look for it. And I think you know physicians have all been made aware that it's a possibility. Uh, we'll let our surveillance system you know do its job. But my suspicion is uh, we won't even have cases here. Okay, a couple of texts, and I'm going to read them cold here. So, uh, Okay, that one was not applicable. Let's try this one. A question for the doctor. If someone had hepatitis A 50 years ago and doesn't currently have hepatitis, why can't they be a blood donor? Hmm, interesting question. By the way, I have, uh, you know, a, a side note to that, I, I'm not allowed to donate blood. And I guess it's because I have thyroid issues. Is that is that one of the things that will make it so you don't can't donate blood? Or because I've been rejected many times. Yeah, <laughs> I you know this is an interesting because of because we've been burned in the past with blood, mm-hmm. and particularly in the HIV uh, epidemic where. They said, you know, it's probably not going to be a problem. We're going to let people donate blood that have been in this category. And it turns out that then they spread disease by allowing those people to donate blood. The reaction by 
you know, the Red Crosses of the world has been to increasingly restrict who is allowed to donate blood. Doesn't you, you, that, in fact, hurt them, though? Because then they don't it, get as it, much it blood? It does, because it really restricts a lot of people from being able to do- donate blood. But from 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 the Red Cross perspective, they it's... You know, back to the risk perception problem. We, mm-hmm. we often key on, well, we want to prevent the negative as opposed to emphasize the positive, right? right. And so so I, I think what's happened is that if there is even a shadow of a, of a risk in there, they just won't allow people to donate, hmm. right? So um, the, the screening now for, let's say, HIV uh, in the blood... You know, there was a time when they got it down to they figured uh, the screening for HIV would allow 10, 10 people to have donated and not be found. And so it would spread to 10 people a year. Wow. And that wasn't good enough. So they, they spent another uh, 10 to $15 million a year screening blood to get rid of that 10. They, they added a, a screening <laughs> test on top of that. And so that that's the kind of level of of protection of the blood supply that goes on. So if there's any possibility that something could come back, um, like, like a hepatitis that could reactivate or has, you know, historically reactivated, they just, they just aren't interested in that risk. Hmm, that's the interesting. Way so, you know, there's travel patterns where, you know, if you were in England for a certain period of time and you have this possibility of, of, a of a prion disease that's, incredibly remote one in a million they still won't let you donate you know it's 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 got it's it's hmm. swung to this we we really can't have any risk uh for anybody transmitting any through, any through the blood supply and i you know, i don't know will that swing back i don't know but but that's the answer if they perceive any risk at all they just won't let that blood go through i know uh my wife who is a frequent blood donor gets maybe every two weeks he gets an email or a text saying, yeah. hey, will you please come donate blood? And I just, I'm like, well, you know, I, I'd be willing. My whole yeah. life I've been willing to give blood. They won't take it. I think a lot they don't of want people it. would be, and I, and it's a shame. I, I think the estimates are that probably 40, 45% of the population has now been deemed ineligible hmm. you know, wow. to donate. And that's a, that's, that's a problem because we're falling behind in our, in our blood availability and there's more and more things that they need blood for and uh yeah. uh to to cut out that number of people is um substantial it so. sure is sure is all right uh, let's take a quick phone call and then we'll get a commercial break in hey thanks for calling what's up good morning andy good morning dr blodgett morning thank you doctor i have a question for you and i'd like to just briefly uh lay the foundation for the question. So Dr. Fauci is fully vaccinated, fully boosted, and he got COVID. Uh, (laughs) Governor Cox, same thing, fully, fully vaccinated, fully boosted, got COVID. My question is, have we changed the definition of what a vaccine is? My understanding, a vaccine prevents you from getting uh, whatever you're being vaccinated against. How is it that all of these people who have been fully vaccinated, fully boosted, still continue to get COVID? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting and a good question. And, and I think it's, there's a, per, a perception problem of what we've been trying to do with vaccines. So ideally, if you can prevent somebody from getting disease because of the vaccine, that's awesome, right? But more sure. classically, especially with an upper respiratory tract infection, 
so we see this in flu and and now in covid is what what it does is it prevents severe disease right so so I, most people don't know it, but we've been in a little kind of micro uptick. The latest variants of Omicron, of Omicron have come through. And so we've had, you know, we were down to you know, 20 cases a day in the district. We're at maybe 80 or 90 cases a day, you know, right now. And mm-hmm. But that has not translated into uh, hospitalizations and deaths, which is what we want to do, right? <laughs> we want to, you want to divorce those curves from each other. And so, um, so in 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 flu and in you know, all of these, the the ideal would be to have what's called sterilizing immunity, where somebody just never gets sick again. But the reality is, the bug changes, and you, what you're trying to make it to give your body the best possible chance it can have to fight something off. And the vaccine has been very very effective at that, right? We just don't. Mm-hmm. See so then we did change the definition. No, that's always been, we've always tried to do the best we can to get it as close to sterilizing, but it's always been in that realm where the the goal is to decrease deaths and hospitalizations, and that's what it's done. Right, but we keep changing the goalposts because originally the vaccine was everybody get vaccinated so we can get rid of COVID. That was the original uh, push. And then it was, well, if you get vaccinated, you won't get as sick as you would have if you weren't vaccinated. We have no evidence of that. The only way you could do that would be to have the same person vaccinated and not vaccinated. So uh, I just I, I am just fascinated at why we continually push, push, push. Even today, even on Andy's radio station sometime today, we will be encouraged to get vaccinated, get boosted. We all have to be, uh, you know, where's the control group? I mean, I guess maybe I'm the only control group out there because I'm not vaccinated, I'm not boosted, and I'm not sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point, good point. And and you know, it's it's the the point you make that we don't know for sure is because we can't, like you said, you can't have someone vaccinated and not vaccinated at the same time. Uh, but uh, it seems like, and you know, the the numbers. And Doctor Blodgett will talk about this. The numbers are, if you know, people aren't getting as sick as hosp- if hospitalizations are going down. It's either the disease is dying out, or the vaccines are, or whatever word we want to use, uh, as opposed to vaccine, are are working in, in some way. Yeah. Well, there's no science to back that up, though, and that's my problem. We can, and now we're going to vaccinate children. Are you kidding me? Children are the least likely to be affected by any of this. Why the push to vaccinate everybody? I don't understand this. I think it's 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 fear mongering at its best. It's all political. And you know, if you eventually get everybody vaccinated, I guess I'm going to be the only one that's a control group. The only one left. I I got to get a commercial break in. Thanks for calling, Steve. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Andy Griffin with Dr. David Blodgett, the director of the Southwest Utah Public Health Department, Johns Hopkins trained. In fact, he was the chief resident there. He, he kind of gets embarrassed when I talk about all this cool stuff that he's done, but I think it's pretty cool. And we're lucky to have you here in town, Doc. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's take one more phone call. Hey, thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Hey, I, thanks, to doc, thanks to the doctor for calling or for coming in today. I just had to add on to something that last caller said. It went from... Uh, you know, hey, get the get the vaccine to protect yourself. To like, oh no, you you better get this vaccine to protect your grandmother and my kids and all of this big story. And then even farther, you better get this vaccine or we're going to fire you. You're not going to be able to come in and buy it to our restaurant. You know, 
where where did that make any sense? Because if anything, if I ever even considered getting the vaccine, as soon as they started acting like, hey, you better do this or else, that tells me that there's something else behind it. This is a this is a, a technology they've been trying to get past for 30 years. 30 years of FDA has never passed this technology. Then all of a sudden, emergency authorization comes out, and they're able to get it passed in a year. Oh, you better take it. You better take this thing. There's, if there was ever, ever a chance that me, and I, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people out there, that were, were ever even considering getting this thing the way that their government, other people, the way that everybody acted with it, there will be, there will never be a chance they would have to literally put it in my dead arm at this point mm. to get it in me. Because mm. I'm saying there's, there's something, there's some reason that they're trying to get that vaccine in me. And kids, and really, like the last caller said, there is no reason a kid should ever have it. No reason. Everybody knows that, but we play this game, and almost two years later, we're, we're still trying to play this game. I'm not that, playing anymore. Yeah. Let's get, let's let the doctor react. We are down to the last minute and a half, Doc. Any thoughts? Well, yeah, it was bad policy to try and mandate COVID vaccines. I don't know how to say it wasn't my policy. I yeah. didn't do it, and I wouldn't do that. I I think everything should have been recommendations from the beginning. And um, and you've been saying that for a couple of years now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I mean, it, what's weird is they're conflating me with the larger national response. And so it's like nothing I said over the last two years got listened to. But uh you know, the reality is uh, we needed to protect high-risk groups, and we try to do that. The reality is that, uh, especially in those older groups, the vaccine made a big difference in who was showing up in the hospital and who was dying. And um, and I, I'm not going to apologize for that. We've seen the numbers drop tremendously. We've only vaccinated about 60% of the population, and yet, um, yeah, Though and we still see those that are in the hospital that are unvaccinated, right? The vaccinated yeah. are not the ones that are there, and and so if you're and I've I've said this repeatedly, it's part of your planning and what you view as the risk in your life. You need to evaluate that, do what works best for your um, for your family and for those you love and for those that are there in your life. And that's uh, been my continual thing is we recommend and that's all we can do uh, to be appropriate here. And, and so we have. But I do recommend if you're over 65, you should be vaccinated. Please do. But it's not the law. All right. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate thank it. You. We're out of time. Back tomorrow. Michelle Randall will join us on the program. Looking forward to it.